I'm going to continue tonight a very important, very important series that we began a few weeks ago. That is solving the mystery of Christianity. This is part four. And tonight we're going to be actually having a discussion about whether it's man of God or man God. Man God. Or did I put man God or God man? I don't even remember at this point. God man? It's probably behind me or it will be eventually. So you can see that and just let that be right. Let me be wrong. And so I want to talk tonight about the difference between the pedestal that we put men of God on and the pedestal God puts men of God on. Because I think that this has hurt probably and confused a lot of people. If you let a man of God tell you what a man of God should be, he might feel tempted to twist the story to make you think he's greater than what he really is. And I think for too long we have let uh, pastors tell the people what they are and how they should be treated from our own vantage point. But I have to tell you all, I have been a non-pastor longer than I've been a pastor. I've been an assistant pastor longer than I've been a pastor. I've been a youth pastor longer than I've been a pastor. I've been a saint longer than I've been a pastor. I have more experience in looking at that man than being that man. So tonight I come from the angle of more non-pastor with this topic than I do pastor. Now if I were to preach this in 20 years, I might have a little biased because in 20 years I might have locked in that pastor personality and I might not be as genuine. I hope that's not going to be me in 20 years, but I know tonight's going to be very real and candid because we're going to go the word of God to the logic and we're going to tell you what a man of God is supposed to be. And we're going to use the scriptures to do it. And I hope that will help you in case maybe by chance you're confused about Christianity because you're confused about leadership in Christianity. Of course, the spotlight is on leadership in Christianity more than it is people in church. And so we have to make sure we understand what the Word of God says. And I hope this will bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name if you're standing because I will go to the Word of God in a few moments for more comments and for our scripture. In my introduction tonight, I just want to take a few moments and explain more about this mystery because this is what we're talking about. If we're going to understand God and his ways, we must be objective. Somebody say objective. We have to be objective. We, we have to have the data and we have to treat the data fairly. You have to have evidence. It's unreasonable to view Christianity from your hurting perspective. And I'm not here tonight to defend wrongs, but I am here to righteously, God help me, to righteously judge the wrongs that have happened to so many people inside the so-called Christian churches. In order to successfully solve the mystery, we will have to have some guidelines, of course. We can't do whatever we want. That would be, that would be unfair. You see, you can't tamper the evidence, tamper with evidence and get the truth. You can't do that. Hurt people only see food as a poison, a trick. And they see tools as weapons used to damage them. This happens a lot of times to people who have been damaged and hurt in church. But there are differences between the two. You also can't listen to only one group of witnesses when you're listening to witnesses. Because they oftentimes will have very unique angles and stories and perspectives. So you need all angles to find the truth and also understand sometimes witnesses can lie 
Sometimes witnesses have an agenda, and sometimes they're not being honest. So we have to be careful hearing witnesses. Um, in other words, it, what didn't work for one may work for somebody else. In that, the thing is not the variable. The person is the variable. Because you and I can both be treated a certain way and have different results or different outcomes from the way we're treated. And it may not be the thing that happened to us. It may be the person taking it. So please understand that uh, we have to be objective tonight. It's hard when we've been damaged by fake Christians. That's our theme throughout this entire, entire series. It's hard to try again. But I have found peace studying what God expects from individuals, regardless of those who have abused their authority and the positions. I have found peace in knowing what the Lord wants me to do and the Lord wants me to, how the Lord wants me to respond to the abuses of authority and positions of people who are so-called Christian leaders. So tonight, I want to deal with the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room that nobody ever wants to talk about because the ones that are talking about it don't talk about themselves. I want to talk about the thing that if you could give the saint a microphone, they might preach like this. You see, we know the perspective of preachers and men of God and pastors. You know, we're all buddies. So, of course, we would never share the deep, dark secrets of ministry. We would never do that. We would never tell on each other. But tonight, without using any names, I want to help people because I want to make sure you understand that if you were a victim, if you were a victim, you've been hurt. Maybe tonight will help you have some clarity and some healing and faith can come back into your spirit and your heart. So here we go. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Whether you're a preacher, a pastor, a clergy minister, all these fancy words that we have, apostle, prophet, teacher, bless God. Whether you're all these fun words like, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I'm a church leader. You know, we love those titles. Sometimes those titles get on our church names. It's 15 words describing what kind of church we are. It feels good to have a title. Listen to me, I'm an apostle, clergy, pastor, teacher. Listen to me, I have all these big names in front of my name. I'm a doctor, apostle, prophet, teacher, elder, deacon, church leader. It's so fun to just throw out what you are. It's like automatic credibility. You have to listen to me because I'm apostle. And I've found many times that, that we are either voted in or we are told that we, are, we tell people that we're something. We name ourselves something and people follow in because nobody wants to be that guy to say, no, you're not. <laughs> nobody wants to be that guy when the apostle shows up to be like, mm, you're not an apostle. Oh, you have a business card and you preach to three people once a year and you're an apostle. No, you're not. Nobody wants to do that and nobody wants to be wrong, <laughs> just in case they are. Because of stories in the Old Testament where bears come out and, you know, killed the kids. No big deal. Just killed the kids. If you don't know that story, you should go read it. It's really scary. Tell your kids tonight when they go to bed. It's a great story for bedtime that uh, they made fun of the bald prophet and the bear came out and killed the kids. So it's a great way to get the kids to respect uh, at least the prophets and bald people. So that's, that's a great way to do it. If you're bald, that's a great scripture for you. Whether you are any of those words, whether you are whatever you call yourself, if you give yourself those big titles, I have a message for you that I hope will minister to people who are underneath you. More is required. More is required. 
And now maybe, maybe we should slow our roll a little bit because we love telling everybody that we have great responsibility. We love telling everybody that we're, we have so many names. But did you know more is required? The more titles you get beside your name, the more God expects from you. Maybe you should slow down calling yourself all these things. Because the more you call yourself, the more God goes, hey, I'm going to make you accountable for being an apostle. I'm going to make you accountable for being that prophet. I'm going to make sure you live up to being that pastor. So you better slow down if you want to be a big man, a big leader, because when you step up to this big spotlight, this big stage, you better make sure you're ready for the pressure that comes. Because to whom much is given, much shall be required. Yeah, that's Luke 12 and 48. It's in our Bibles. Jesus said it, red letter. He said, whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. So congratulations, those of you who have been deemed apostle and deemed a prophet and deemed evangelist. Whenever you step up to the big game, now there's more required of you. Now you can't do what you want to do, act like you want to act, treat people like you want to treat people, because now you have told everybody that you are a man of God. Who wants to be a man of God now? Isn't that exciting? Who wants to be a woman of God now? I bet you slow down on your prayers, don't you? I bet you slow down asking God to use you, oh, whatever you want from me. Yeah, I mean, I hope you pray that way, but just be ready. If God calls you to one of these fancy titles, please understand that as soon as you step up on the stage, more is required of you. It is. Jesus was talking here about his return back to get the church at the rapture. And he says in Luke 12, 43, just five verses before this, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. When the Lord comes back, he's going to be looking for this servant who's been given a whole lot and a lot shall be required. And the Bible says that blessed is the man that will be caught living right when the rapture takes place. It's not what people see the servant doing, but it's what Jesus sees the servant doing. The rapture is not about what the people think their pastor is. The rapture is not about what people think the prophet is. The rapture is not going to be good for someone that people like the evangelist preaching. It's not going to work for you if you have a secret double life going on. And this seems to be a warning sign to people of great position. Because I have found out that people who have great positions, they oftentimes don't realize the cost of the great position for too long. Pastors and ministers have lived double lives and nobody has called them on it because the ones who call people out are the pastors and preachers. Who's going to get up and do that? Why would we tell, our, why would we tell off on ourselves? Why shouldn't, we just, uh, why shouldn't we just cover for each other? But too many people have been hurt because of that. Yeah, they preach good. So let's just give them a righteousness pass. They're great preachers. Who cares if they're righteous? Or they led the choir so amazing. Let's just give them an attitude pass. They can have a bad attitude. They can make everybody mad. They do a good job. They're talented. This is the concept we have. They must be a good leader because they're good with the choir. That's not who the Lord, that's not what the Lord's looking for in you. That's not what the Lord's coming back for. Well, you're great with the choir. You're going to go to heaven. No, no, that's, this is not how it works. You see, we measure our success off of our performance, not off of our daily devotions. 
And too many ministers are deceived because they take the applause of the people that say, you did a great preaching, you did a great job with the choir, and we take that to mean that's righteousness. But the Lord is the one that's the righteous judge. And oftentimes people don't, they're not able, they should not be the judge of the ministry because they really don't know the ministry. They only see the ministry a couple hours a week. So how many times has pastors felt like they were righteous because their church said they preached good? There's a big difference in preaching good and being good. There's a big difference in singing good and being good. There's a big difference in having a talent of oratory skills that you've learned in college and you actually being an anointed preacher of God. There's a massive difference. And we have to approach this today and understand that they can give you those chills, but they weren't real. They're not real people. You can have a chill from Mariah Carey, and it's not the Holy Ghost. So too many ministers, preachers, think that they are right with God because people enjoy their ministries. And it's deceiving. And it's not true. Because then this makes the preacher feel prideful. And he thinks he can slack off on devotion, slack off on the way he treats people behind closed doors, slack off at home, slack off in his private time. It's deceiving because too many men of God are never called out like the saints they call out every Sunday. It's deceiving. It's out of balance and it's dangerous. In Numbers 32 and 23, the Bible says, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sins will find you out. How many times have I had people I know that while their pastor was preaching and the evangelist was preaching that there were secret things going on that happened for five and ten years that no one found out until later. That's kind of weird, isn't it? It's kind of weird that there are men who have cheated on their wives for a year while pastoring. Does anybody else think that's a little bit icky? That there are people out there, countless numbers, who have robbed money from the church for their personal agenda, who have cheated on their wives and still gotten up and preached and everybody said it was a good message and nobody knew what was going on. No one discerned it. People couldn't tell. Isn't that scary that a man can have a gift and be wrong with God? Isn't it scary that you can have some form of godliness, but you can deny that power? Isn't it scary that people of leadership and spiritual high places can be wrong with God, can be in sin and still perform and no one know? This, this, is, this is the reality for a lot of people's experiences of pastors and preachers and all these fancy titles. When a church member gets caught, it affects everybody at their job, their home, their friends, and their family. But when it's a so-called man of God that gets caught, it affects every member of the church and all the people in their lives. So why are we spending so much time on the members of the church and, and not the ministry? If the ministry is the reason some people are backslid in churches, if ministry is the everything rises and falls on leadership, then why is there so little talk about accountability for leadership? When's the last time somebody came in and preached revival? To the pastor. Oh, no, no, you know, I know why that doesn't happen. I know why. Because we would never have him back. And we wouldn't pay him good. So that's why that man doesn't exist in our movement. 
Because we only pay evangelists that have 100 people give the Holy Ghost. But we don't pay anybody that comes in and makes sure that the spirit of the church is right. That's not, we can't afford that. We can't afford a profit or a non-profit organization. I'm not even going to, because some people don't get it, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to move on. It's uh, when a man of God messes up, it's a snowball effect. It, it trickles through families and generations. There's so many people that I know that just can't get it out of their mind. How could a man of God mess up? A man of God mess up? Is God even real? How does a man of God mess up? He's a man of God. God approves him. God loves him. God's with him. How does he mess up? And it confuses people all over the place. It confuses young people that are trying to find their faith and their footing. It confuses people all the time. It's happened in this city way too many times, and we have got to understand it. Eventually, don't worry, eventually, over time, if something in secret is happening, it will come up. It will manifest. And it has too many times in people's lives that used to have a pastor or a preacher that they knew like that. Maybe that minister was good at first, or maybe they have never been able or, or they would have never been able to rise in position if they had never been good at first in their anointing or talent or something. Or maybe they were just good at acting the whole time ever since Bible college. Maybe they were just good with people. Because I found out that there are people that are in ministry that are good people, have good people skills, and they have bad God skills. Because, you know, oftentimes people that are really good with people aren't as good with prayer because they want to be in the crowd, not in the prayer room. So we have to balance ourselves, and that's why sometimes we are getting in trouble in leadership and in spiritual ministry because we oftentimes don't understand that uh, we might have a gift that God gave us and not have the anointing because there's a difference in gifts and anointings. The anointing is what anybody can use regardless of gifts, right? Nothing's more powerful than a gift tied to an anointing. It's, it's, it's the best, but there are people that don't have a lot of gifts, but they have the anointing. In fact, whenever people don't have many gifts and they have the anointing, God gets more glory because that vessel being a lowly vessel shines more on the greater vessel, Jesus Christ. And so that's why the Lord can use anybody, regardless of our gifts. But it's also why someone thinks they're spiritual because they have gifts, but they don't have a devotion. And this is dangerous. And it's happened to you and it's happened to me because we have revered men for their gifts. We don't understand they're just men. That they may have great oratory skills, they may have great wisdom and counseling, but they might not be men of God. That's the, that's the challenge tonight. So if you play with fire long enough, eventually you will get burned, and many have. So this is for those of you who have had spiritual leaders in your life with no eyebrows because they have been singed off from the heat of their private sinful lives. It is possible it happens all the time, and many of you out there go, what's up with it? And tonight, I hope we can help you with it. But the question is, wait a minute, how can a man of God be like that? That's a great question. That's what we're going to answer tonight. Man of God is used in the New Testament. Anybody know how many times the phrase is used? Somebody want to guess? Go ahead, and I'll, give you, I'll give you five seconds to type a number out there on the comments. How many times has the phrase man of God been used I can't give you more than five. You'll look it up on Google. All right. The answer is two times in the New Testament. 
This is really cool. You're going to find this interesting, what I found out about this. First, in 1 Timothy 6 and 11, if you want to go there, you can join me. It says, but you, Paul talking to Timothy, his young protege, but you, O man of God, Paul said to Timothy, you, O man of God, hey, man of God, I'm going to talk to you, man of God. Let's see if this is the way you talk to man of God. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Right off the bat, that word flee jumps out. It's like, what? Man of God don't run from nothing. I'm a man of God. Tell me to flee. I don't flee anything. I don't believe in fleas. I don't flee. I'm not going to run from anything. I'm a man of God. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, Timothy. You're a man of God and you're already told to run from stuff. As if something can catch you. As if something can get you. What's the context? Well, let's notice what he said. And let's back up to verse number 3. 6 and 3. He said, Timothy, if anybody teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which, which accords with godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come, come envy and strife and reveling and evil suspicions, unless uh, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Wow. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, he's talking to his protege, man of God. He's man of God. Everybody say man of God. This is instructions for a man of God. Do you all see what I just read? He said, you got to be careful of the godliness, the godliness as a means of gain, of personal profit. Wait a second. This is telling us there will be fake preachers. And Timothy, I don't want you to be one. Don't be a fake preacher. Proud arguing, that's what it says, and they think their spirituality is their application for employment? No, Paul said. No, that should not be. That should not be you, Timothy. You're a man of God, and no, this is not going to be your identity, but it does make sense. It makes sense because there are people that are in ministry because they see dollar signs. Oh, wow. It's in the Bible. They think it's going to be for their own gain. Some people are not called. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They want to be on a platform. They want to have a stage, and they want to have control. Not everybody that's in the limelight as a pastor is someone called by God. Many see it as a lucrative opportunity to get power, to get money, and have people do what they tell them as a guise that God will hurt them if they don't. Why is it popular to be a pastor, to be a preacher, and to be an evangelist and an apostle? Because with the territory comes some form of control over people. And this is not the healthy part of pastoring and being a spiritual leader. It draws false prophets. This light, this stage, and this pulpit draw evil men. Can I make it more clear? I want to make it so clear. Hear me that just because someone is in this pulpit, a pulpit, or on a stage, or a suit and a tie, it doesn't mean their intentions are pure to lead you to heaven. It could be this is for their own gain. It could be they saw an opportunity to just abuse people, manipulate people, and have servants around them. It is tempting to be in the ministry whenever you see the pastor roll up in a new truck. It's tempting to be in the ministry when you see the pastor get up and say, lift your hands, and the whole crowd does it like they're slaves. It's tempting to think that's the best life in the whole world. People don't feel the pressure. People don't see the pressure. People don't see all the issues. And everybody just sees, I want to be like that one day. 
that's scary to me that you would see the small perks of pastoring and think it's just that easy. You have no idea. You should never be attracted to the ministry because you think there's some cool perks. Let's just put it like this. 90% of pastors don't have the nice truck and don't have the big church full of people to say, lift your hands up. That's not reality. And too many people have gotten into ministry for their own personal gain. Stop it. You're hurting people. You're not a man of God. You're trying to be a God man. You're trying to be the man that's like God for people. And it's not good for people. It's not healthy for people. And I'm so tired of men who love themselves more than the will of God. And it's hurting and damaging too many people. Anybody can be a pastor these days. You know how you do it? You go file a 501c3 and spend about $2,000, give yourself a fancy name, go out and rent a storefront and preach behind a pulpit, and all of a sudden you're anointed. God may have never called you. And we've got people that will go sit under them because of a self-proclaimed title and go, I'm hurt. Just because they call themselves a man of God doesn't mean that they're a man of God. And this has been the confusing part for so many people. So they only, they're only godly because they want to have a job. There are some pastors and preachers that are only godly because they want to keep their position. I'll put it to you like this. They're cheating on their wife and still a pastor. Why? Because they'd rather have the income and have the control and feel the power and still be in sin. See? Their godliness is for the job, not for him. So you can appear to be godly before men and be wrong with God because the motives are wrong with that man of God. That man of God is not in it to serve. He's not in it to put himself last. He's in it to be first. And it comes across like this. You bow down when I walk in the room. You do what I tell you or you're going to go to hell. That's how it comes across. Everything I say goes. If I say move your job, you move your job or you're cursed. If I say you wear a white shirt, you do it or you're going to hell. That's how it comes across. I am the man. I am God's oracle. I am God's voice. And that's dangerous because you're doing this out of your own personal agenda now. You want to control people. And that's why so many men that have had a controlling spirit over their church have had junk in the closet come out five and ten years later because they were insecure. They were hiding something. And it's sad. But this is the way that these so-called men of God operate while in secret sin. Let's continue in this, this context, 1 Timothy 6 and 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. To be godly is enough. I want you to say it out loud. To be godly is enough. A man of God should not be happy because he's had 200 people in his church. A man of God should not be happy because there's enough income to build a building. A man of God does not see this as a job. A man of God sees this as a ministry. 
A man of God does not do this for the building. He does not do this for a big crowd. He does not do this to have that new truck. A man of God does this because he wants to serve and see the kingdom of God grow. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When a man is doing the will of God and living righteously, it's more than all of the money in the world. You can't give him enough money to make him happy. He'd do it for free because he's not doing this as a job. He's doing this as a calling. It was not his idea. It was not his dream. It was God's dream. It was God's dream put into him. He's just content to do in the will of God. This is supposed to be why we do what we do. And Paul is telling Timothy, this is how you're going to operate, Timothy. You're going to be happy being godly. It's enough for you. And you're satisfied. If the man of God would please God more than man, he would find that ministry is a byproduct of his satisfaction in Christ. If a man of God would live holy and righteous and be satisfied in his daily devotion, his ministry would flow out from that relationship. He wouldn't have to try so hard. He wouldn't have to put on air. He wouldn't have to have everything perfect. Why? Because everything we do successful in ministry, it's all linked to our godliness or in our relationship with God, our being Christ-like. Men of God don't have to perform and have talents. They have to have a deep, pure, sincere walk with God. God will speak through that man. God will work through that man or that woman. God will use that vessel. We must be godly. But Paul's not done. He's still talking to the man of God that gets nobody ever preaches the man of God. Verse 7, For we brought nothing in the world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these shall, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. He's talking to the man of God about money. Hmm, how many men of God do I know that need to hear some preaching about money. I think it's already on the news and in the newspapers, and I think a lot of our friends wonder about men of God and money, don't they? Yeah. Well, they make so much money. They have so much money. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not supporting because they have so much money. Lo, it's really weird to me that Paul prophesied it before even our structure of church was, was in action. He prophesied it right here by telling Timothy, be careful of the riches and be careful of the temptation because at first it's not about money, but eventually it will be about money. See, everybody that gets in ministry gets in poor. Nobody ever got in, nobody ever got in with any money. Nobody. You start out preaching, you're nothing. You preach for beans. You preach for free. You preach because you want to preach. But then you get successful. And one day you're preaching and they're like, hey man, you're worthy of a big offering. Oh man, you're worthy of being the pastor. Oh, you're worthy of being over the money. And then it turns into what will you do when you have access to it? Everybody thinks they're going to be that same lowly preacher that was humble and trusting God. But how many men of God have gotten access to finances and got drunk on it? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. It's amazing to me that Paul said to the man of God, the man of God, not to the member of the church, the man of God, that you have to be careful and be content. You've got to make sure that you don't get drunk with success. Because let's face it, who has control of church finances? The man of God. Who's going to be preached to the most about money? The man of God. Why are we pre Who else can you preach to about church finances than me? I'm in charge. 
Legally, I have a board. We work with our board to do things legally. But when it comes to the way God sees things, I, the buck stops with me. I make the call. I have to be the spiritual leader for our church. So you know who needs to have the preaching and the prayer meeting over the money? I do. And so do the other pastors and preachers out there. And that's why Paul said, man of God, be careful. Because it can be a snare. Many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He's prophesying so many people that have died because of the, the lust of money. And look at it says in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That scripture wasn't to people in church necessarily. It was more to the men of God. Wow, we quoted that just like it was to anybody, didn't we? We quote that for years to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you. But, but Paul wasn't talking to the church in general. He was talking to the church, but you know how it's going to get to the church? Through the man of God. Who's the first person to have this? The man of God is. The church wouldn't even hear it if Timothy wouldn't live it. Paul said, I'm going to take the money topic to the man of God because if he can't do it, no one in the church can do it either. I love my old beat-up truck. It's got high miles. Lady hit me the other day. She was scared I was going to claim insurance on it. I walked outside, and she was worried. And she was probably ready for me to get the insurance. And I said, with a straight face, I said, uh, ma'am, and I, I kind of have a, I have a good poker face, I guess. I don't play poker, but I have a serious face. Let's put it, preacher probably shouldn't have a good poker face. I have a very, like, serious face. I can put one on really easy like this. It's just like a dry sense of humor kind of thing. I'm not really serious. I'm faking, but I'm just like, and she's like, what? And I'm like, ma'am, out of all the trucks in this parking lot you could have hit, this was the best one, and I smiled. And she was like, oh. <gasps> She's probably about to be like, I, my grandpa just gave it to me. He just died, and I need this truck, and it's a beautiful truck. But I was just like, it's the best truck that you could have hit. I totally calmed her down. I said, I don't need your insurance money. This thing's paid off. I've got dents all over the place. And I told her, this thing's the best truck you could have hit. It's just a truck. It's not some nice thing. I'm, I'm going to try to drive that thing. Unless I have some big problems, I'm going to try to drive that thing in the ground because it's paid for. Now, I drive by them nice trucks all the time. And I'm like, Jesus, can I have today? And he's like, no. I'm like, okay. This, this is first to men of God so that it can get to you. To you. How can I say you should live, you should live modestly and give offerings to God when I'm the pastor and I don't do it? Oh, hey, we'll all sacrifice. You, you, you just have it nice. <laughs> That's crazy. It's not the will of God. But, but you've been hurt by this. You've seen this. You don't even know if you trust God or preachers anymore. But I've come to tell you we're not all like that. And the word of God teaches it, but no one preaches it. Can I keep going here? Verse 11, it ties it all up. But you, oh man of God, flee all those things. Oh man, we need some preaching to men of God so that we can stop hurting people in churches. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you also, verses 12, verse 12, to which you also are called have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let me summarize it like this. A man of God's first calling is not to the ministry of people. That's not first. That's why godliness is used in this scripture. A man of God's first calling is to the ministry of God. To serve him. 
A man of God that gets in ministry for self is not a man of God. That's why it's not a man of people. It's a man of God. That's why it's not a man of people. You see, what you may have sat underneath is a man of people, like Saul and not David. You may have sat under a Saul who everyone liked him, but he had no favor in his life. He's a man of the people. But you need, what you need to do is find a man of God. That means a man that's for God, a man that does what God wants above anything else. This is the first priority of a preacher, a pastor. It sounds like you were hurt by a false pastor one time, a false preacher. They exist. But can I comfort you right now before I move on and tell you? So do Timothy's. Timothy's exist. Timothy's exist and they believe the word of God and they heed the warnings and they flee from that kind of lifestyle. The second reference in the Bible for man of God is 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. This is Paul talking to Timothy again. Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for, right, for instruction in righteousness. That the church member, <laughs> that the church folks, the saints, you know, the, pe the little people, let them have to use the Scripture, not the man of God. God forbid the man of God has to listen to his own Scriptures. Let's just, let's just let the man of God preach it and not have to live it. Well, that's not what Paul told Timothy. Paul told Timothy so that the man of God can be complete. Sounds like men of God have work to do. Sounds like men of God need to have prayer meetings themselves. Sounds like men of God need to get some things figured out with their own walk with God. Sounds like Paul knew that men of God should not be in, escaping the word of God. Sounds like the man of God needs some completion and perfection. Sounds like Paul knew, Timothy, you being a man of God are not exempt from having the word of God preached to you. You need to get the word of God yourself. Look in the mirror and make sure that you are not ignoring your own preaching. That's the second time the man of God was used in the New Testament. Now, you, you would think in the New Testament, be like, man of God, don't ever let anybody talk back to you, man of God. You're a boss. No, that's not in there, is it? Two times man of God was used, and both times he was rebuked and corrected and told to live better, live right, and do right. Man of God. I hope I'm changing the way you hear man of God. Man of God. Wait a minute, what, man of God, verse 16 is quoted all the time, and it, we, we think it's, of course, for everyone. Of course it is, but it's especially for the man of God. Why? So he can be complete. They're incomplete men of God. They're incomplete men of God. Do you see that? Man of God, be complete. That means, man of God, you are incomplete. Oh, I thought men of God were perfect. Why is Paul telling the man of God to be complete then? Oh, no, Pastor Green. I thought that when someone was behind a pulpit, we were supposed to just like worship like angels, like that's like God speaking to us. You mean he makes mistakes and he's not perfect? Absolutely. That's why Paul said, man of God, try to keep working on yourself. Oh, I didn't know that was possible. That's why you got offended. That's why you got hurt. You had a higher expectation on a man that you should have never put there. 
That's why you're damaged right now. Because you were never taught a man of God can have flaws. A man of God will make mistakes. You thought God was wrong because you thought the man was a God man. There are no God men. There are no perfect pastors. It's not possible. And if you will lift them up like that, you'll be the one falling. This is what the Bible says, y'all. Trust me, they're incomplete. I've been around. You ready for this? You won't want to go to the kitchen right now. You'll have to go back and find this comment later. I've been around at some time in my life, I've been around licensed ministers older than me with years of experience in a hotel room and I actually witnessed them turn on the television. Oh, that, that's not the bad part. I've actually witnessed them flip through the channels and I never will forget when it landed on this TV show called Fear Factor. That's not even the bad part. This day, somehow, was Fear Factor Bikini Edition. And I know that I watched Man of God watch bikini girls do gross things on TV until their conscience clicked a few minutes later and they realized we probably shouldn't be watching this. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I've seen it. And guess who I told about it? Nobody. Because who would believe me? Because men of God don't do that. They're perfect. Oh, I'll just go to the board and I'll just get their licenses taken away and ruin my reputation. Because you know what would have happened to me if I would have told? I would have been ruined. I would have been the one judged. They would not give up their life. They would not give up their churches. They would not come clean. You know what they would do? They would trash my name. They'd never let anybody know I was good. Because you see, here's what you do when you're caught. You have to blame the person who told on you and call them wrong so that you get your name clean. You smear the testifier. Well, he's not. He, he, he turned it on. Yeah, I've been there. I've experienced that. And I had to get over it. And I had to tell myself, man, this is the reality. It can make you or break you. That was the longest let me watch this and see if it's good moment I've ever seen. Because, you know, as Christians, we, we flip through things to see if they're good or bad. Because people tell us in, in current day churches that you can have a TV, but when you get to something bad, and you see that it's something you enjoy, turn off of it. Oh, wait, wait. When I get to it and I enjoy it, turn off of it. That's like saying when I'm eating some food and I taste something I like, put it down. That's the concept we have today. It's okay to just taste test TV and then turn it off if you don't see something that... That's not what happened on that day. This is why my wife and I are against television because most people, when they see something they like and no one's around, don't turn it off. They wait a few more minutes with the intention to turn it off. Yeah. Why is this directed to men of God? Men of God are sometimes the most blind when it comes to self-evaluation. 
Because who's going to call them out? They don't have pastors. They don't have anybody over them to tell them they're wrong. And as a result of them having no accountability, they damage saints of God like you. And it has to change. You need healing. You understand why it happened to you. And you need to understand it's not God's fault. Who pastors the preachers? You have accountability and less responsibility as a saint of God. You have less pressure on you than I do because of my position. But who do I, as a pastor, have speaking to my life? <laughs> I call you. Who calls me? Well, that's a good question, Pastor. I never thought about that. When, when you're not doing right, I call you. Well, what if I'm not doing right? Who calls me? Oh, that's true. This in lies the problem with our current church culture is we think that the pastor of a local church is his own boss and he answers to nobody. This is scary. This is not the will of God. Now, the Bible does not teach that every man is to do everything his pastor says in the ministry. It doesn't teach that. If that's the case, who was Paul's pastor? Right? Some believe you have to have a pastor at all times that if he says, you jump, you jump. I don't believe that that's a trend in the New Testament. I don't believe that at all for one second. I believe that there's definitely a reason, scripturally, that we are to have people in our life that are above us that speak into our lives. But at the end of the day, you've got to make your own decision as a man of God. You have to answer for yourself. But you should have a covering. You should have accountability. You should. So first, I need to be open to correction as a man of God, and so does every man of God. For correction and guidance from spiritual leaders further down the road than I am. Now, if your pastor or someone in your past did not have this, it would make sense why you are hurting right now. Because who caught that man before he made a big mistake? There was no one around, was there? No wonder you got damaged, no wonder you got hurt, and no wonder people are being damaged today. Because nobody ever checks on the pastors. No one ever checks to see if they're safe. Usually, the people that we look to for this advice as pastors are not in our local congregation. And this is part of the problem also, because they're not around us. So how can they help us? <laughs> there are people that say stuff like this. I've got people in my life that I listen to, but they don't know you, because they live in another state. Well, I've got people in my life that if they see me doing something wrong, I'd do it. When do they see you? They see you at home? They see you at church? They don't see you. They don't know nothing. About, I don't know anything about you. So it's easy to have someone in your life that doesn't know anything about you because then they can't, they can't help you. So it's kind of a fad in Pentecost where everybody has people over them, but no one ever tells them what to do. It's all for show. The truth is I have to be honest enough to say, hey, brother, you're my elder. You're someone I'm looking up to for advice. I want to be honest with you. I want to be open with you, and I want you to help me make sure I'm complete. That is up to me as a pastor to do. I have to have that. Some of us are blessed to have people that are like bishops, like Bishop Stevens, that are here still in church, and I can glean guidance from them. But if we don't have that, there are no excuses. We as men of God must have people we confess to and open up to. It is my desire as the pastor of this church 
to, now that I'm a new pastor, to be having men come through our church that I can talk to personally for counseling, for guidance, for prayer, for advice, that will preach in our pulpit and deal with my wife and I in private. Why? Because we need that too. We need someone we can talk to. We need someone we can open up to. If we have this, it will divert any major issues for me and her down the road. This should be the will of God, I believe, for every pastor and every preacher. You need to have a covering and openness and someone you're talking to and being open to and not hiding from. You also should have them come to your church and be around the church to feel the spirit of the church so they can tell you more about what you're doing wrong or right. Secondly, I am a pastor, but I'm also a brother. Not a lot of people believe in this, but I believe in this. I believe that as a brother of people in this church, of great people in this church, that I should definitely be respected, but I should also be approachable by spiritual, humble people to help me see the other side of things. Because if I and you were working together and we are all in unity with each other, then why would you, after all your dedication, after all your support and love for me and my wife, not listen to you if there's something you see that I don't see? I want to know it. To, for too long, we could not approach the pastor if we disagreed because we were scared. We were scared the bears would come out. So just hold on a minute before you sign up for the uh, pastor police program. Hold up. Make sure you understand something real quick. Could I trust you if you reached out to me about my flaws? Are you a faithful, praying, supporting, proven member of the church? Are you a long-standing, proving your dedication and love for me and my family? Can you answer yes to these things? Are you emotionally stable enough to see flaws correctly? Or do you still see the abuse and authority because of your past? So before you join the pastor police program and critique and try to sit down with me over coffee and tell me that we need to have a certain style music or a certain color carpet, can I trust you to talk to me? Have you earned that right? Because I feel like I have to earn the right every day to be your pastor. Shouldn't you have to earn the right to stay in this church and be the same? Shouldn't you have to have responsibility on you as a member of the church? I believe that we can open the door up to constructive criticism again between people and their pastor when the people and the pastor love each other so much that we can be honest with each other. I believe it's the will of God for people in the church to be able to walk up to the pastor and say, Pastor, you know I love you, you know I pray for you, and you know that no matter what you say, I'm here with you. But here's what I've been feeling lately. Thank you so much, brother, sister. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for telling me. I promise you I will pray about that. I promise you I will do my best to work that out. It could be that I disagree 100% with you, Mr. Pastor Policeman. It could be that you brought your facts to me and I totally feel something different in my spirit or it was just a misunderstanding. But you've got to understand the way this works in the kingdom is, is you can't go. I'm only going to talk to him if he agrees with me. Because that's oftentimes what we do with our pastor. We try to predict if they'll do it and then we go ask them. This is not your job. Your job is not to change my mind. Your job is to talk to me. It's God's job to change my mind. That's why you pray for your pastor. Because God has more power over me than you ever will. And if you're right with God and God hears your prayers, God will get the message to me, I promise you. 
God is, is good at giving mail to the pastor. But you've got to be someone that God understands as a regular customer. So yes, I believe it can be done right. Can you talk to us about the issue, my wife and I, and still love us if we disagree? Can you not talk to others first before you talk to us? Because then you're ready. But if you're talking to everybody else before you talk to us, you're not ready. You need to go pray through because I can tell you I'm going to pick up on your spirit real fast. But if you can do it right, I think you have a seat at the table. I don't see anything wrong with it. I, I see the disciples every day going, Jesus, I don't understand this. And Jesus didn't beat them up. I see disciples saying, Jesus, I'll never do that. And Jesus says, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. You're going you're to deny me three times, Peter. Peter said, no, I won't. Why, why can we not be honest with our pastor? Now, you can be wrong, but you still have a voice. It's time that we take that stigma out of our churches. We should be able to talk to the leadership of the church. Thirdly, I'm trying to hurry and close. God needs to give us prophets to protect us. They are king correctors. Everybody say king correctors. Who corrects the king? Well, back in the Old Testament, the king was in charge of everything. What the king said, it happened. But then God would send a prophet out of the woods with nothing, and the prophet would tell the king, you are right or you are wrong, and God was with the prophet. And the king would get corrected. And if he would not listen to the prophet, God would curse the king. If he obeyed the prophet, God would bless the king. Where are the prophets in 2020 in the church? Everybody wants evangelists to come to their church. Nobody wants a prophet. We'll pay an evangelist good money to come in here and get 100 people with the Holy Ghost. We won't pay a prophet one dime to come in here and preach and make sure that we're all living righteous. We have killed the prophets just like in the Old Testament. We've killed them financially. And no young man says, Pastor, I feel the calling to be a prophet. We've killed that ministry. You know why? Because the pastors hold the funds and they won't release them to fund the prophet. Do y'all hear me? I'm disclosing important information tonight that no one will ever tell you. The pastors have the finances of the churches. And until they began to fund the prophet, we will never have another move of prophets again. It is up to my generation to not be afraid of the voice of God because we're not hiding things anymore. And until the pastors of this generation get real with God, they will always kill the prophets because they're afraid of being exposed. It starts right here with spiritual leadership. Most importantly tonight, as our closing topic, the pastor, the preacher, the apostle is a man of God, not this God-man, not this man-God. The preachers have enjoyed being like a God to their churches for too long. Do you know why people left their pastor? Because they were told that the pastor is a man of God and no one in church was allowed to question him. So what do you do when you can't question your pastor and he's wrong? You leave. <laughs> That's what they do, right? Well, I can't question you because then you're going to tell me I'm going to hell. So you know what? I'm going to leave. And this is why we have an epidemic of church hopping. Because pastors are not approachable. You can't go to a pastor and talk through it. You can't work through it. We just leave. Because there are people that grew up in church thinking, I can't disagree with my pastor 
even though I see something I think is wrong because if I do, I'm going to hell. So what do you do? You leave. This is not the will of God. This doesn't make sense. This can't be the way that we act and continue. Why are pastors so afraid to talk about things with people? It's because of a word called insecurities. They're insecure. Pastors think they have to hold a perfect image before the people so that they can keep being the pastor. Pastors, deep down, have to be careful of loving the power of being the mouthpiece of God. When I was growing up in church, if the, if the pastor spoke, you stood still and listened. Yes, sir. And if he said jump, you said ha ha. If he walked in the room, you stood. You wash his car. You wash his feet. You polish his shoes. He is the man of God. And then they cheat on their wives. And then they, they do dumb things with money. And then they have bad attitudes and they do the weirdest things. They love the, the power of being the mouthpiece of God. Pastors have to resist the, the feeling of being in charge. I'm in charge. I'm a pastor. But pastors know deep down that they're not worthy. No. So somewhere along the way, someone preached somewhere. Don't you touch God's anointed completely out of context. So I want to get the context right before we pray tonight and we hopefully get healing for people who have been damaged by ministers. Who says it's a man of God and not a false preacher? Because there are false prophets and there are real prophets. There are real pastors and fake pastors. So how do you know that's a real one? We have to stop being so gullible. We have to stop listening to what people call themselves and start seeing the fruit of their ministries. They need fruit in their ministry, not a church building. A church building does not mean God has given them favor. A lot of people in the church does not mean God's given them favor. Y'all know that. So we've got to stop believing someone just because of these manifestations of talents. And we've got to make sure they have fruit in their life, longevity, consistency. That's why the Bible says stuff like this. A bishop must be. Go read it when you get time. Look up the scripture. Type it in Google. A bishop must be scriptures. There's a long list of rules for bishops, pastors of a church. It's serious stuff to God. Touching the anointed means to harm, not disagree. Can I help debunk the myth that you can never disagree with your pastor? Obviously, it should be rare. But it, it's possible to disagree and not harm them. Are you hearing me? It's possible to disagree because you're, it's unclear. You don't know all the facts. You don't understand. It's possible to say, well, I don't understand, but I'm not going to hurt you. So when the Bible says that we should not touch the anointed, it's about David disagreeing but not hurting Saul. Can I take you to that reference? David says, I disagree with Saul. He's trying to kill me. He's the current king, but David's anointed, and he's sitting here being chased by Saul, and he has a chance to kill him, to hurt him, but instead of killing Saul, he runs from Saul because it's right not to hurt the one that God has anointed. But you can disagree with them. 
You can disagree with a man that's not righteous, that's not called and not anointed, and still not touch him. It's not that you respect the anointed, it's that you respect the anointing. And because the anointing was on that man, I'm not touching that man. Let me put it to you like this. If God put him in position, God will take him out of position. I will never take somebody that God put up as a king down as a king. That's not my job. I will never go to a pastor and try to pull him down because God made him that man. God will take him down. It is not you and I's job to hurt the ministry. And I never would ever believe that's something we should do. But you can disagree with ministry. You know why you can disagree with ministry? Because we're not perfect. And there's going to be times you're going to find that out. And you have to be protected from that. You can honor the anointing and disagree with the anointed, the old anointing. You can be anointed and you can lose your anointing. Did you know that? Saul was anointed, but he was not anointed. He had old anointing, not fresh anointing. He had old anointing when he was living right and doing right, but now he's no longer doing it. So therefore, there are men of God who have turned their hearts to things of the world, even while pastoring, even while preaching, even while evangelizing, even while they're laying hands on people and they're being healed. They have turned from God. And you're confused because of old gifts that still look like they're in operation. Remember, guys, the anointed one sometimes is the one on the run, and the false anointing is sometimes the one is the king. David was the real anointed one. He didn't look like one, did he? Because sometimes looking like the king is not the king. Sometimes the power and prestige is not the king. Sometimes the greatest king among you is the one that runs because he refuses to fight against God. 1 Corinthians 7 and 8 says, And I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, let me give you this one, okay? Is it good for them if they abide even as I? It's good for them to abide even as I, single. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. Now watch very closely in verse 12. The context is about teaching on marriage to the church in, in Corinth. Listen to this. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. This is important scripture. I hope that you're seeing this and reading this. Do you see what he says here in the Holy Scriptures? Paul says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now listen. If any brother has a wife that believe not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. That's not God speaking. That's Paul. <gasps> that means there's a difference in what I say and God says through me. I thought every time the pastor opened his mouth, it was like God speaking. No, that's not true. If I say you should pray, that's the Holy Ghost. If I say eat fried chicken, that's Pastor Green. If I say, you know what, it'd be good for you to maybe lose a few pounds, that's not the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you if it's the Holy Ghost. That's just me. That's advice. If I say, save some money up for a rainy day, that's not the Holy Ghost. That's me. But how many people have thought that everything their pastor said was God? That's not biblical, guys. It's not biblical. Everything I say is not God's voice for you. 
Everything I say is not you going, oh, he said it, oh, he said it, uh, God messed up, God, no, no, separate me from God, I am not God, I'm just a man, I'm a man for God, I'm a man who loves God, but I'm just a man, everything I say is not the will of God for you, sometimes it's just good advice. Maybe you got hurt one day because someone told you something and you thought you had to do it, but it was just good advice. You know, it would be good for a lot of us if we stopped saying everything as if God told us and we would clarify better and say, you know what, here's my advice for you. Or, you know what, God just spoke to me to tell you because there's a blurry line between what we should do with a man of God and his words. Maybe you got hurt by one of those. I'll dive in more deeper in the future the difference between submission and dependency and I'll try to help you understand the difference between the leadership style that that pastors use on their people to keep them weak and anemic. But I want to pray right now over every one of you because I believe that there can be some healing for you tonight. I believe there can be a chance for you to have healing. In Jesus' name, I know that people, so many people, are getting shocked tonight with information about how ministry could be so messed up. God, I hope tonight I have shared the downfalls and temptations and the pits of pastors and preachers and all these fancy titles. And I hope people understand that it's not an easy thing to be this man of God. And there are so many, so many room and air for error, so many places we can trip up. And it's damaged so many people. Number one, Lord, I'm praying that ministry in 2020 would grow and develop and be more godly and biblical. And I'm also praying, God, for every person who's been damaged or hurt by someone they thought was like an oracle of God. It's not fair. It's not right. Men are just men trying our best to be complete in Jesus Christ. Let there be healing tonight for people who have had a false view of church because of false preachers, false prophets, false pastors. Let the world know there are people that are genuine doing their best to live righteously, doing their best to go by the word of God and help them understand that, that yes, there are people who have been done wrong, have seen the bad side and want to make it right. This is a chance for you, if you're hearing me right now, to come back to church, to give pastors another chance, because I know so many pastors that agree with me, we have got to make changes. We've got to make changes. And I appeal to you right now, if you're a saint of God, pray for your leadership. If you're someone that's been hurt, please give it a chance again, because I promise you, it's changing, it's progressing, and I hope that you'll be healed and learn from this tonight. It happened to you. It's happened to others. It'll keep happening. But please do not blame God for what happened with someone who you thought was God's voice. We make mistakes. Give God a second chance. Don't quit church over a false leader, spiritual leader. Thank you for joining us tonight. We love you all.